Welcome to the Ground Game Podcast. I'm your host, Bushido Squirrel. Today, we're going to be talking transit, especially active transit, so biking and road diets and all that fun stuff. And to do that, we've brought in Don Ward, a.k.a. Roadblock. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. So this one's going to be really interesting because traffic in L.A., uh, it's pretty bad, right? Traffic is pretty bad, yeah, yeah. By, by a lot of measures. What sort of pickup are we seeing uh, for cycling and active transit? Like, do you know the numbers on that? Because it seems like I see a lot more cars than I do bikes on the road. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Los Angeles up until the 40s and 50s was more of a of a, uh, a rail transit city. In fact, I from what I've read, it was the largest rail network in the country, possibly the world. Um, so we built these walkable communities and neighborhoods, um, and they were kind of separated by oil fields and, and, uh, and uh, farming for a long time. And in the 40s and 50s, folks got really excited about cars, and cars were becoming cheaper, and you know we had the war, and we had a lot of people working on machinery, and they... They needed something to do, and cars were, you know, cars were that thing. It was, it was mobility. People were super excited, and they started to build out the, the rest of the city uh, for cars. They started designing it because for cars. Because b- before that, like the, the uh, Pasadena Freeway, that actually sort of mirrors what was a bike highway, right, before it became a car highway. Yeah. Um, back in, you know, the, the turn of the century, um, before cars really became popular and cheap, People traveled by horse. They traveled by uh, train from neighborhoods that were built. Um, you know, the small walkable towns. Really, LA used to be a lot smaller as a city, and there were other cities that sort of got absorbed into LA. Um, and I think a lot of that had to do with water rights and so forth. Or you know, yeah, the the map of LA as far as like incorporated versus uh, unincorporated areas is really weird and kind of a hodgepodge. And also generally tracks with where industry felt like they didn't want regulation. That's why you have cities of like Vernon that are unincorporated and are just hotbeds of uh, corruption and ridiculousness. <laughs> yeah, and in the street grids that uh, they designed in the 1800s and the early 1900s, like I said, were walkable and really dense. I mean, you have a, you have a place like Eagle Rock that used to be its own city from what I understand. They have an Eagle Rock uh, uh, City Hall over there at, at Colorado and, and, uh, and Eagle Rock Boulevard, I believe. Uh, and that got absorbed into Los Angeles. But that neighborhood was a small, you know, a small township, you could say. And uh, so, you know, all the the great neighborhoods that we love are these these dense, walkable neighborhoods. Um, now that we've realized how foolish it was to design the rest of the city for cars, um, so people are, you know, gravitating towards these these small street grids like Boyle Heights, like Koreatown, like like Eagle Rock, Silver Lake, all those you know Los Feliz. Now, uh, before we get too much into this, let's roll back for a second because. Roadblock here isn't just like any random person I grabbed off the street. He's a um, a bit of a legend as far as like organizing and activism uh, in the bike community goes, uh, both for kind of professional sports type stuff as also like recreational stuff. Um, so can you talk a little bit about like your history with Wolfpack and real quickly like, sorry, some of the opportunities that's given you to work with the city to sort of bring cycling in L.A. Um, above board, as it were? Sure. So, you know, I'm born and raised here, not far from here, actually. And, you know, for the longest time, uh, 
this city. I bought into the idea. This is cars. You know, we're sort of brainwashed into by by billions of dollars of commercials um, that cars are you know a priority and so forth. And you know, you sort of put your head down and you're working and you've got your thing going on. And all of a sudden, uh, my friend Kim, uh, back in 2004, she was also a graphic designer. I'm a graphic designer by trade. Um, she sent a flyer out. It was called Midnight Riders, and it was a ride. It was called the Downtown Fountain Tour, and we started in Echo Park, and it said skateboarders are riders too. So, you know, that was the first time that I'd really sort of thought, okay, um, you know, it was the first time realizing that, wow, I've, I've been head down working so much that I forgot that we have this city that I used to skate all the time. You know, I used to skate down Wilshire in the middle of the night and here was this chance to do it again. Uh, it was an 18 mile ride. I, I did bring my skateboard. Um, the other, there were six other people that brought bikes and my, my friend Trevor bought a skateboard. We did this ride and it was so fun. It was. It started at 10 o'clock on a Friday night, and it was so fun. We ended up at a bar in Echo Park when we got back, and we couldn't wait to organize the next one. We had eight people at that point. The next one had 20 people. It started growing exponentially until around 2006. It was this once-a-month ride that had literally 1,500 to 2,000 people, and each ride had its own theme, and really the original creators and and we called it the mamas and the papas that's what we were but the real driving force behind it were three women it was uh kim jensen mabel and uh muff and kim jensen's kim jensen's name was skull you know there was a lot of just fun themes that they came up with the the punk aesthetic never really died in the scene yeah the i mean it was a tongue in cheek punk aesthetic because these girls were uh you know, graphic designers, one was an actor, one was a doctor, you know, studying to be a doctor. She's a doctor now. And uh, it was just it was just out to have some fun on a Friday night other than your typical commercial, you know, going to a movie, going to City Walk, whatever the, the activities were at the time. It was like go out and spend a bunch of money and drive to where you're going. This was let's have an adventure and see what happens. And and this kind of, to, to accelerate the history a little bit, has over the last decade grown to be seen internationally. Like you've raced teams at international criteriums. We've brought sure. international competitors to LA to race at the Civic Center Crit and other Wolfpack races. Um, and what has it been like in the city of LA to do that? Because LA, car-friendly city, very wealthy city, not things you associate with really bike riding or active transit necessarily here in the, right. the US. So like, what is that really presented as far as challenges go for you? Well, uh, just to give a little bit more history, we, it, it became this massive thing, and we 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 put up a website. I put up the website Midnight Riders, and you know it was it was so massive that we couldn't have fun with it anymore. It was just this mob of people going through the street. So that immediately becomes a political issue because you know you've got police, you've got other residents wondering what this is, and we never it was never a a protest. It was a party, not a protest, yeah. unlike critical mass. So um, at the time and at the time, bike riding was viewed as like broke people ride bikes. You know, that's it. Yeah. And it, it, you know, we sort of 
changed that definition and now it's sort of like people look at it as like oh hipsters and gentrifiers ride bikes which is another political issue that's an amazing it's been an amazing journey because this is a even though it's fun it's a political movement because you'd get people you know all of a sudden you know there would be hit and runs or traffic injustice um your right to ride on the street is violated by aggressive drivers and the city does nothing to protect you and you know there were people in this community of thousands of people that would organize political rides to go to city hall and make public comment and i just remember you know i wasn't particularly political i you know i i've i've been involved in politics and political movements but for bikes it was just fun and here was this bike ride going down to city hall on a wednesday at two o'clock and I'd say about 50 people decided to go on that bike ride, and I'm sure that 48 of them had no idea what we were getting into. And we show up, and there's this transportation meeting, which they always hold at an inconvenient time and an yeah, inconvenient no, place. I, here at Ground Game, we all have different assignments where we watch different committees, and I watch the transportation committee. And they're constantly canceling meetings. They're constantly shuffling the agenda. They're constantly, like, moving around who's going to be there at the last minute. And it's it's very silly because you'll show up at a meeting with, like, a certain agenda, and then they're like, oh, we have all these last-minute addendums, which you just can't actually uh, object to and might sort of ride the line on California law, but it's it, the transportation committee especially is is kind of going and uh, all the committees. I mean, they have tricks. You know, they they wear you out. You know, the the point is is to wear out the energy of the public so you're not involved. And they'll they'll do things like, well, we should study this for 180 days and we'll reconvene. And you're like. Okay, well, we just spent all this energy getting up the political, you know, the political momentum to bring all these people here, and now we got to do it in, again in 180 days. Because none of the people showing up for comment are getting paid for that, whereas the the city councilors and their deputies are all getting paid very nice salaries. Yeah, I mean, and that you know that that fact was interesting because we would show up to these meetings, and you have these uh, you know city council members who don't want to hear from the public, but there are. You know, there was a guy, Bill Rosendahl, council member, who actually looked at us and, you know, rest in peace to that guy. He actually looked at us and he was like, you know what, this isn't the usual suits that show up, um, you know, the, the paid lobbyists. These are like regular people that are showing up asking the city to make things safe yeah. for us. And he actually took a liking to us and he started to do things and, and he was pretty bombastic. He, I remember one speech, he declared the end of the car in Los Angeles and everybody looked at him like he was crazy. But, uh, you know, he, he was one of the first council members that really was like, I'm going to listen to these people, you know, and I like that they're not paid lobbyists. These are just mangy bike riders that are showing up asking for safe streets. Yeah, no, it's it's something that you realize when you're, especially with bike riding and cycling activism, like your life really is on the line. Um, and before we get into the fights, I want to touch on one last history subject uh, because Hyperion Bridge was a big fight, like making that road safe because it's incredibly unsafe. If you see that thing, it was not designed for the amount of traffic or people that live there, but you almost bought the farm there. Um, <laughs> do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so, you know, after doing a number of these, I show up to public comment all like for years, actually. Um, we got to the point where the city was actually listening to us and they were doing things, you know, laying down more bike lanes, doing doing things, you know. And uh, there was a point in time where we sort of got lazy and stopped showing up. 
and where it just seemed like, okay, Mayor of Iragos is laying down 100 b- miles of bike lanes in a year. That's amazing. Yeah, and he also became a little bit of an ally because he got hit by a taxi. He got what we call getting right hooked where the car turned in front of him yeah. uh, when he was on the right and he broke his arm and suddenly he was like, oh my gosh, cycling's really dangerous. We we should do something about this. Yeah, and a little bit of insider baseball. His son was, uh, I think, studying urban planning at CSUN and following the wow. group bike ride scene. And, and I think, you know... Viragosa kind of took a liking to the bike community because the bike community, if you really look at it, it's incredibly diverse. And the, you know, I, I would even argue that, that it's mostly people of color. Oh yeah, a lot. That, well, that I was going to say doing what, the group bike rides. Well, you know, every year uh, at Ciclavia, mainly the one downtown. Um, I, I I don't think Active did it this year, but like the last five years, he's in a pedicab with the mayor of LA behind him, and and Active is a big, ridiculous character person, and definitely not somebody that you would imagine a suit like Garcetti or Via Ragosa. Uh, rubbing elbows with, and they they love the guy. He's their official pedicab driver for it, and so it brings a little bit of color to the politicians' lives. Yeah, and and Viragosa Viragosa had an eye for uh, public transportation. We really have him to thank for um, really uh, pushing for uh, things like Measure R, um, getting federal funding for the trains. He really got the trains moving here in Los Angeles, the rail transit, and uh, I'll always support him for it even though in the governor's campaign he's like not supporting single payer which really yeah. irks me but whatever <laughs> so um anyways but, when it comes yeah, to the hyperion bridge yeah. so we got smarter right the bike lobby has a seat at the table in this town because of all of the work that was done for years showing up to these public comment we, we have a seat it might be a fold-up chair that they brought out of the closet and they put us at the you know in the little corner of the table but we're there and that that's something. That's something. Um, so when it came to Hyperion, we kind of knew what to do. You know, Hyperion, <laughs> the Hyperion Bridge is this beautiful bridge that was built in 1928. It crosses the L.A. River um, over on Hyperion by Los Feliz and uh, and uh, Silver Lake, where Los Feliz and Silver Lake meet. So they were. It's a 30 million. I think now it's a 60 million dollar. From reading about it lately, it's a Sixty million dollar project. It's you know, and you start to understand where all the money comes from. And, it's and like what's federal, the federal, state? Oh yeah. City. Well, what's the aim of the project as far as Hyperion Bridge? Are they widening it? Are they just reorganizing lanes? What What was the aim of this project? So the the original aim, thirteen years, or you know, when they first started uh, working on the project, was to tear down the bridge and put in a straight freeway bridge. You know, mm-hmm. like a straight, boring bridge. That's what Caltrans wanted to do. Um, Because that's what Caltrans knows how to do. They don't like to take care of old bridges because old bridges are narrow. And federal money doesn't like narrow. Federal money says make it as wide as possible. This is the old thinking, the old car thinking. It's still there. It's a big waste of money. And it also destroys beautiful things, heritage things. The the Hyperion Bridge is that that amazing sort of art deco, quasi-Roman imperialist style that you find all over L.A. that, like, sticks out in weird industrial areas because the city has just changed so much. But it's a beautiful piece of of modernist architecture and something you really appreciate living in L.A. because it's not hidden behind buildings and freeways and stuff. It's very there in your face. And, like, people notice it when they go by. And, And things, you know, the history... In the 70s and 80s, you look at how Atwater was. I mean, Atwater was super gangster, you know, and they did things to that bridge to kind of discourage 
uh, folks from walking over that bridge from Atwater to Los Feliz, which Los Feliz, it was still, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't as, as, uh, as, uh, you know, expensive as it is now, but, um, it was a different class. I'd say Atwater used to be like pretty working class, you know, lower class. And they, they would do things like allow bushes to grow over the sidewalks. They would, um, kind of reduce access to the bridge that used to be there. And it's there's actually seven bridges. It's interesting. Well, and there, there's sort of this soft exclusion, like the, yeah. the hard redlining has gone away, but there's still like little ways where the city will or will not yeah. spend money that makes your life a little bit more difficult. Yeah, and it's like, it's like you know, wealthy people in, in the highlands uh, don't want to see the poor people uh, coming into their neighborhood. So they, they do things to make it difficult, you know. That, that that's not that obvious, you know, yeah. at first. So that that's what, what kind of kind of was going on with that bridge, but I believe. For the the old bridge, the 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 one that we're um, talking about getting renovated, it's pretty dangerous. It's very dangerous. In fact, in in a few different ways for pedestrians. So what Caltrans and and what the Bureau of uh, Engineering were looking at doing was uh, eliminating a sidewalk putting crash barricades on both sides, w- banking the, the road. Because the thing is, they, they were going to take the bridge out, but there was, there was a public outcry against that, rightfully so. And so then they came back, and this is, this is a 10-year process. So they, 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 we actually showed up to the very last public presentation. Myself and a bunch of bike activists showed up, and we saw the video. There was a video presentation by... Councilmember uh, Labange, Mitchell Farrell, and Eric Garcetti, and it was like 3D and the drone footage. It was like this really super crazy uh, presentation on the bridge, and this was the final presentation. They were like, "Okay, the public is on board. This is moving forward," and it was like crash barricades, removing a sidewalk, making it even more difficult to cross the bridge to uh, get to school a lot of kids mm. get to school at Atwater yeah I was gonna say know? that's a, that yeah. that was one of the major concerns was like children getting hit just trying to get to yeah. school and because the other option to get to that school is incredibly inconvenient like the yeah you have to you do get a, a big, walk yeah. like uh, about a half mile out of the way yeah. just to cross the bridge so we saw that um I I'm such an a-hole actually I was I had my phone recording I was asking the engineers questions and it was like Let's drill down to what's really going on here. What is the design speed of this bridge? You know, that's the goal. They want to increase the design speed to get cars through there as fast as possible. By design speed, you mean how quickly a car can travel through that area safely. So the crash barricades are going to make it safer, the, you know, for cars to speed. They're why, you know, they're banking the, the, the lanes. They're removing a sidewalk to make the lanes wider. All that stuff encourages cars and makes it safer for cars to speed but it makes it more difficult for a pedestrian to cross that you know and they they were you know they weren't going to put in a, a crosswalk or a light at the base of the bridge to get kids across it's like everything they were doing was making it just a freeway for cars and literally it's like a quarter mile long or a half mile long until you get to the next light so you're encouraging cars the design speed was 55 miles an hour you know, and you're encouraging cars to speed up to 55 downhill towards the next red light, which is not that far away. Why are you doing this? You know, why? Why aren't we? Th- this is still a policy throughout the state 
is to maintain wide lanes, maintain high card speeds. And you're really just encouraging people to speed from red light to red light, which is a dangerous, you know, uh, aggravating situation if you're not in a car. Yeah. And it even, it's even aggravating when you're in a car because people speed up to a red light and they're like, I got to stop. And then I got to jam on the gas. And yeah, no, it's wasteful. You're, you're burning down your brakes. You're, you're burning gas, accelerating and decelerating like that. Like I see people in an SUV driving like that in LA and I'm like, sir, if you hate your money that much, I will, (laughs) I will gladly take it off your hands. I can, I can, I can totally spend that for you. Uh, but, uh, before we get into the fight, uh, this was the bridge you got hit on, right? No, I got I got hit on Glendale Boulevard by Echo Park Lake. Okay, but yeah, it's yeah. sort of a similar design up there, where it's very very high traffic speeds. Uh, it's a, a road change that's not meant to accept. Uh, it's not really safe it's, for it, pedestrians. It's or, similar or in this. It's similar in this. Over decades, the power that be the powers that be, what they do is they take out crosswalks, they take out obstacles to car speeds. You know, if you crosswalks, you widen streets, you take out lights. And you give cars more space to speed. And that's exactly what happened with Glendale Boulevard, where I was hit. Glendale Boulevard used to be, uh, you know, if you look at the buildings there, there's a lot of commercial buildings. There used to be a rail car down the middle of it. It used to be a a walkable district. And in the, you know, when they built that two freeway, this is, there's so many ways this, this conversation can go, but they built the two freeway and it empties out onto Glendale Boulevard. And over time, they whittled away at the walkability there. They made it a six lane, you yeah. know, street flush it's a through very for cars. Wide street. Yeah. yeah. So you're speeding through there, and I'm next to Echo Park Lake riding my bike. And cars can be, cars can hit 55, 60 miles an hour, no problem, yeah. you know, next to a park, you know through the middle of our city and that just is not there's a social justice issue there where somebody that doesn't have a car should feel safe on the streets this is our public property we should be accommodating like the least common denominator which is someone walking yeah the, the the ethical equation should be if you can hurt someone more you should act to not do it not like if you can get hurt you should get out of the way quicker right yeah. right we should be punishing the bull not the china shop you know <laughs> like the, and, and it's the exact opposite, and yeah, that's where I got hit, and that really actually kicked up my whole activism. Well, and I, I was going to say, just uh, to, to tie this one off, because I find this really speaks to the power dynamics in the city, uh, the, the dude that hit you was driving a Jaguar, he left the scene of the accident, and it turns out that he does what for a living? <laughs> he is actually a lobbyist. Uh, he's a lobbyist, actually, for developers. He's a Democratic Party uh, bigwig yeah. lobbyist. Um, his name's Glenn Gritzner. He works for, uh, forget the name of the firm, but, um, you know, it's, it just shows you that, that it's really more of a, it's, it's not a, it's not a partisan issue. It's a class issue. And this guy made the right choice. You know, according to the law, he actually made the right choice to leave because had he stayed, you know, I'm assuming that he was drunk. Yeah, but you, had mean, he stayed, he you mean in terms of saving his own skin, not in terms of, like, ethical behavior. Right, in terms of business. You know, he he decided to leave, and had he stayed and been found to be drunk, he would have done uh, a, a night in jail at least. You know, that, that condition is still a problem on our streets. It's still being worked on, um, you know. Uh, that that was that was the motivation behind like hey we have the L.A. River bike path this is a major thoroughfare for bikes that get you all the way to Long Beach basically from Canoga Park to Long Beach, yeah. um, 
but we have no way to get there from Silver Lake, Los Feliz, Echo Park. This is like the heart of the bike movement, and we have no way to get to the L.A. River safely from that side there's of the just a, There's just a big gap. There's uh, a big gap. You either got to do Los Feliz Boulevard, which itself is like a six-lane freeway crossing boulevard. You got, uh, you know, Fletcher, which is a disaster. And you've got Hyperion and Glendale Boulevard, and they're both disasters. And here was a chance to remake this bridge to be a walkable bridge. People, people could walk from Silver Lake to Atwater you know, go have a coffee. The kids could get to school at, at Marshall High, safer. And the city was not doing that. They were instead making it a flush through for cars at high speeds. So we raised a big ruckus. Um, the, the, uh, the group that I put together was called Vision Hyperion. Um, we got, you know, about five, 600 members in there. And we were just buzzing with activity to hammer away and we found that that actually there was a a legal um uh vulnerability for the city which was yeah it was under the uh it 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 was basically under the sequa under uh sequa they were trying to get this project passed um without doing a sequa study yeah so that was interesting and you know and and CEQA, for people know, is uh, the California Environmental uh, Quality Assurance or Quality Act, something like that. I forget exactly what the acronym is, but it's, it's if you want to build something in L.A., uh, you have to prove to, well, in California, rather, you have to prove to the city, the state, and the people who live around there, the stakeholders, that what you're doing isn't going to be incredibly environmentally disruptive or incredibly environmentally, like, degrading to the area that you're moving into. Exactly. And what they were trying to do was quietly get this project approved. You, you bring it to the city council. They, uh, there's so much bull that, that is part of this. But, you know, it does make sense in a way. But they basically bring it to the city council and they say, uh, city council, will you vote on this? It's called a mitigated negative declaration. Will you vote on this that says um, this is having no impact on the community and you're putting your political name behind this? And therefore, we can move forward this, with this project without doing an environmental study. So that was our that was our little uh, leverage point. Was if we raised enough ruckus, um, then they have to do a CEQA study, and they didn't want to do a CEQA study. And was was your aim in this just to delay it, to stop the project cold, to force them back to the table for negotiations? Like, what was your your tactical thinking here? In this particular situation, it was to force them back to the negotiating table and give us something better than a freeway. And in that sense, we did win concessions. There were problems. Um, you know, there's there's also in when you when you know, I'm sure you know, there is this kind of dynamic in activism where you have like the orgs, you know, the official nonprofits, and you have the pitchfork people. I've been on the pitchfork side this entire time, and we've got the LACBC, who is the official org, and they sort of have to maintain their relationship with the yeah. with the and political the, body. LACBC is the uh, Los Angeles County Bike Coalition, and they do a, re- a lot of really good work. You can check them out online. Um, and they are the much more, like, presentable like can meet the parents cyclists you know they're not the the crusty folks that me and don are always running <laughs> with um, but so you guys were coordinating between these two different sort of activist uh, well, strains yeah there's that the bike lobby is 
the powerful end of the bike lobby are the pitchfork people. The LACBC are sort of the lap dogs, unfortunately, because they, like I said, they have to maintain the relationship. So they're not going to be forceful. And the problem here was the LACBC didn't want to squeeze them on this CEQA thing. So, you know, I and some people were like, screw that. Let's squeeze them and get some concessions. The LA, And it ended up... It ended up like the the LACBC presented their plan, which was to still have the sidewalk removed and, uh, you know, get some bike lanes. But these were like weak four foot bike lanes. Um, They weren't asking for the crash barricades to go away. Their plan was this sort of milk toast plan that was going to be easy, politically easy. Yeah. For like somebody wanting to take their family across the the Hyperion Bridge, these bike lanes were not going to be something that made them feel safe. Would you feel safe in a four foot gutter lane next to 55 mile an hour cars? No, but I I also know how to take off rear view mirror with a U-lock and I've had (laughs) to use that before because like, and that's what I'm getting at is it whittles down the number of people who want to access active transit in a really dumb way because the city says, well, we want more people to bike and it's like, well, then make it safe. Like don't make, and for a lot of the, a lot of it, it's not like you're guaranteed to get hit on the road or be severely hurt. For the most part, every a lot of people ride their entire lives without any sort of a major crash. But there's a lot of people who don't do it because it doesn't look safe. It doesn't seem it safe. Doesn't and it's not feel fun. Safe. Yeah, it's your not brain is fun. filled with fear uh, chemicals the entire time. You are amped up on adrenaline. It's not a fun, le- leisurely ride when you have cars going by at 60, 70 miles an hour. Yeah. yeah. And that bridge, there's curves in the bridge. There's, you know, people sitting on their Facebook texting or whatever. They're going to swerve out. So it was this plan that was like, like, and losing the sidewalk, like, okay, if we're going to, if we're going to fight, let's fight for the ideal. That's my, my philosophy is fight for the ideal and get as close as you can and fine, we'll make some compromises, but let's present the ideal and sell it. My ideal was I put together a design that called for reducing one lane of traffic heading downhill that would give us the space to have buffered bike lanes, keep the sidewalk. We have a crosswalk at the base of the bridge. I, I drew out the whole thing and, and presented it. And what the way that they did this is they, they formed the Citizens Advisory Committee. And, you know, that's one of the ways that they wear you out. They put together this committee that has no real power. It's an advisory committee. And um, they were trying to do it in a way that would exclude me, would exclude Mooney, my, my partner in crime on this thing. Um, and we... We are, uh, I mean, we're persistent jerks. I got the the Los Feliz Neighborhood Council to appoint me to the committee. He got the Silver Lake Neighborhood Council to appoint him to the committee. And the first meeting was like, oh, these guys are here. (laughs) It was like, Which, honestly, I've learned not a bad reaction. Uh, (laughs) If they know your name when you sit down at the table, that's a good thing because then they're thinking this person's a liability. And so if they don't know who you are and they don't care, that's a little bit like, then you're not doing your job right. Uh, You could be stealthy about it. If we really want to coordinate, we should have had like some puppets in there, but whatever. I, I sent in the plan and to the Bureau of Engineering's credit, that was, they accepted the plan. It was, it was actually designed according to, you know, standards and they presented it as one of three options to the Citizens Advisory Committee. So our, our, the way that I felt this process was going in a, in a democracy was, okay, all we have to do is get the, the Citizens Advisory Committee to agree that this is the best plan, plan three. 
Um, little did I know, and we took it to the limit. We got we got the Citizens Advisory Committee to actually vote in favor of option three, reducing a car lane. Now, there was a lot of resistance in Atwater amongst uh, a cabal of business owners. But we, we went house to house and, and sold it. Sold it to every single homeowner, like homeowners, residents. Uh, we had a hundred business letters. We had uh, we had principals from Marshall. We had parent groups. We had every s- school in the area. Every parent. They all. We had letters from every one of them. It was like a, over a hundred letters, yeah. and and over a, like I think it was something like a thousand signatures. The the file is there. You can look at it. There was so much political will to actually and. I made sure with every single person that we got a signature, they understood that a lane was going to get taken out on the on the downhill, and everybody was on board. Yeah. Well, and it's weird. I was going to say for the business owners, and you see this all over the city here in L.A., for things like as, innocu- as innocuous as like Ciclavia, where like a guy who owns a magic shop got freaked out that the street would be closed for cyclists, and what they constantly ignore is that cyclists spend more money on local businesses. Like, you're there on the ground. You're much more likely to stop your bike and go check something out than you are to pull your car over, park it, get out. But there's always this weird kind of reactionary business thing that's going on there. There's, but they have a lot of they have a lot of weight to throw around. There's an old way of thinking which is the more traffic in front of my business, the more uh, that I'm that someone's gonna see my business and stop in. But it's actually not true. The opposite is true. The the more that people can access your business without having to drive there, find parking and you know, people driving through an area is mostly cut through traffic. You want your local customers, you want your local community to come to your business. But if your business is sitting on a big street that's noisy, it's not it's not pleasurable. Yeah. So you're not going to go to an outdoor cafe on a six-lane boulevard. You're going to go to an outdoor cafe that allows you to ride your bike there or walk there but, safely and walk across the street to go to a record store after the, you go to the, the coffee shop. The, the car exhaust makes my $5 latte taste <laughs> so much better. Um, yeah, but so... so uh, Okay, so, for, so for for option three, that got accepted by the citizens, but I'm I'm leaning towards the the city didn't go with that. What we, what was okay. the ultimate resolution? The, well, the ultimate thing was, like I said, we took it to the limit. We the citizens advisory committee voted for option three. Um, you know, we had all that political support, and the council member Labange, who was working really hard behind the scenes to thwart us, um, just wasn't accepting that. And it was uh, it came to a council vote, and the way the council votes is they don't vote against each other if a project is within you know someone's district. They don't want to cross because they have their own projects they want to get done, so they're not trying to create enemies. So it, they voted uh, against us. They voted for the freeway plan, and that went to the Public Works Commission, which is sort of uh, a body that that the mayor has a lot of influence in, and we were. We were looking for support from the mayor, who allegedly Mayor Garcetti is this like bike friendly, pedestrian friendly person, but Public Works Commission voted against it. So, you know, as I say about the bike community, there are people who, you know, there are people from all different backgrounds, all different classes, all it's so diverse. Well, it just so happened that there was a person, I call him Bruce Lane. He's a, a, an anonymous person who's literally a billionaire who is a total bike bike friendly person um he backed a lawsuit so we went to the lawsuit and that's where you know it's 
you know, it's my name on the lawsuit. It, it was, um, you know, I had access to the lawyers and what, what I feel like my mistake was, is I thought, I thought we had a democratic process. Once we got to the lawsuit, it was, you know, obviously not a democratic process. It becomes that, but it, no, it's still a political because, uh, what, what I didn't do was you got to keep going with the public, you know, and what, what I was afraid of and what I didn't understand is like, okay, this is a lawsuit. I got to be quiet because I don't want to jeopardize the lawsuit. So we went totally quiet. And what you got to do is you got to keep going with the press releases. You got to keep going, keep the public engaged and you got to have people bodies show up to court. You know, I was the only person sitting there in court and the judge is looking at, you know, me and, and the city and, the judge is going, well, what did the bike coalition want? And the bike coalition had like, you know, this plan that was inadequate and they actually reversed their opinion, but that wasn't something, you know, they reversed and they endorsed option three, but that wasn't something the judge was going to hear. And it wasn't like, I wish I would have just stood up and just been like, Hey, can I say something for a second? Did, have you ever been to this bridge? Yeah. Well, I was going to ask for, for somebody who visits the bridge now, what, what state is the bridge in? It's still in the same state that it's in. It's it's uh you know it's you still have two sidewalks. There's um, at a certain point both sidewalks become very narrow, and that that was the issue. We were arguing for ADA compliant, eight foot wide sidewalks. You know, taking out that lane, five foot wide actually, um, putting handicap ramps, uh, having buffered bike lanes. They're gonna. We did win in a certain sense in that there weren't bike lanes before now they're allegedly going to be bike lanes mitchell farrell is saying that they're protected bike lanes i don't see how that's going to fit in there but that's what he's claiming and to mitchell farrell's credit i do i do believe that he does want the right thing you know in general he's done things for bikes and pedestrians in his district so i'm not you know i know that people don't like him for other reasons but uh, for reasons of bike and pedestrian, he does do good things. So we'll see what happens. But I mean, and, and, and in full disclosure, we did lose an election to Mitch, but we're not we're not bitter. Uh, but, <laughs> I know, I know. But so after so, and I, I, and I love Jessica Salins. Oh, yeah. like, we, I, we worked on Bernie campaigns together, and I, I love her. So, but um, yeah, no, and Mitch is you know they're they're very worst politicians in the city and and in the world. But um, for basically is a, is a summary after 13 years of struggle over fixing a bridge, the bridge is still in the same state it was 13 years ago. It will be fixed in like the next five years, I think is the, the kind of schedule I've heard ish. But again, you know, we're going, we're going to go through, you know, at least two full eight year administrations before this bridge is ever dealt with. Um, I I think, uh, you know, in the next two to three years, I'll probably start work on it from what I understand. And, uh, you know, that was we lost. We lost to to a big degree. We lost. We still got the bike lanes and so forth, like I'm saying. But and it, it they, wasn't they, the, they, the they, win they, that but we wanted. Yeah. We we won in that we stopped the process mm-hmm. and we caused a big ruckus and and they did change things. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the end of the day, we didn't get the ideal. Yeah. But like I said, you fight for the ideal. You paint a picture of the ideal. You fight for it, and then you compromise. And the problem is, is so many people are just like calculating ahead, and they're saying, "Ah, oh, well, this is all we can get." No, you sell. You got to learn how to sell, and that—that's what we were doing when we went house to house. We learned how to sell it, and and just and paint, paint the ideal, and we got people to support it. 
and and that's really important is getting uh, not just support and bodies there, but the support of the people who are actually in that community. And you can kind of tell when you're meeting an opposition that's been manufactured versus one that's like we'll call it organic. Yeah. And so I want to counterpoint this fail uh, or this this uh, not victory in Hyperion with the road diet that went down over on uh, in my neighborhood over on the west side in Mar Vista. Now this involves uh, Mike Bonin and a stretch of Venice Boulevard that they're trying to turn into more walkable and it's really nice. Like there's there's farmers markets there, there's a very expensive barber shop, there's a really good record store, Time Warp Records if you want to go buy some vinyl. But they're trying to make it like a little pedestrian friendly foot mallish area. So they took out a lane of Venice Boulevard and they put in a protected bike lane. So that means parked cars on the outside. So if a driver misses the road and drives off, they're going to hit a car, not a cyclist protecting the car on the inside, which is is great. Uh, and Mike Bonin was able to get this road diet plan through. The city went and did it really quick. It was one of those they reached for the stars and they got it, and people were so very unhappy. So let's it's, talk about it's, that. it's a mixed reaction. And there again is the sale. You got to learn how to sell. And I think this is where I have a problem with LACBC and some of the orgs out there is get out there and sell it but don't sell it like for Westwood bike lanes um, they tried to sell it and they got like couple you know they got a petition with you know hundreds of cyclists to sign the petitions but what did you do about the homeowners you know and you know I've I've actually uh, fought for a road diet a way long time ago, one of the first ones, one of the first controversial ones. Um, It was in front of my mom's house, actually. (laughs) And I was like, whoa, they're putting one in bike lanes in front of my mom? Yes. And the first thing I did was I went house to house, and it wasn't, you know, because out in the valley, they don't care about bike riders. Homeowners, Homeowners in general don't really care about bike riders, especially out in the valley where the grids are really big and you can't really bike anywhere that well. That So it's not, hey, uh, these bike lanes are great for bike riders. Screw the bike riders. Sell it to them in terms of their own selfish interest. And for a homeowner, if you have a four-lane speedway in front of your house, um, it's really easy to sell, hey, let's turn this four-lane speedway into a two-lane calm uh, road with a middle turning lane so you can get into your, your driveway without the risk of being slammed into from behind like has been happening. Um, let's give you some space to get out of your car once you park. With, you know, the bike lane is your space to do that, even though, you know, as a bike rider, I don't like being doored. But, um, hey, you know, to a homeowner, now you have a place, to, you know, a buffer between you and the traffic. The traffic's going s- more smoother and slower you could take out the trash without risking getting run over by some speeder. There's all kinds of benefits that you can sell it to the to and, the and that nice family that will want to pay a little bit more because that street's safer in front of the yard where their kid will be playing. Like yeah. there's all sorts of reasons. Yeah, your you property your property yeah. values go up. It's there's all sorts of benefits that you can identify that have nothing to do with bikes, and you can still sell it. But so the west side, the Mar Vista lanes. Here's uh, the sale. Yeah, so, so they they failed to do that, and they brought in. Uh, we'll talk about the opposition in a bit, but let's talk about what you saw specifically wrong with their approach to this project. Even though they did get the lanes, and the lanes are still there. Well, you know. Actually, if you look at what Mike Bonin did, they did do uh, some out. They did do outreach. There's um, business owners on Venice that uh, one in particular. His name's Demetrios, which is so funny. This is 
he I, I go way back with Demetrius. We have a lot of common oh, friends. Right. Yeah, I, I've met him. Yes. Uh, he have you met him? Yeah, Demetrius. Yeah, I, met, yeah. I, I think I've met him on rides. The the name sounds familiar. He no, he's not on rides. Not on rides. No, okay, no, I'm no, thinking no. of someone he's, else. Though. He's yeah. he's a uh, he was uh, working sales at this internet place that I worked at in Culver oh, City. Oh, okay, yeah, no, no. no. Uh, he's he's a good guy. He's a good guy. It's just that I think, you know, you don't. We've been programmed so much that cars are very important that you don't realize what you're asking for. And I've talked to him. I talked to him actually over the phone after this whole recall thing happened. And I was like, Demetrius, listen, man, you don't, I want you to understand what you're asking for. You're asking for Venice to be returned to this six lane highway. And right now you have a business district where people can walk across the street easier. And you've got a bunch of shops here. You give this uh, a year or so, you're going to see a whole lot more pedestrian traffic, a whole lot more local uh, community uh, coming out to your businesses because it's more pleasurable to be on a four-lane street than it is on a six-lane street. But so Demetrius was directly involved with the uh, recall Mike Bonin, uh, yeah. which, you know, but like... Mike Bonin, uh, yeah. Mike, he, the, those two know each other, and yeah. Mike Bonin did do outreach, but I think Demetrios, because there was a lot of backlash, Demetrios, you know, he's... You know, he, t- he took a side and, and he, you know, we, when we talked, he, he said he didn't want to be enemies with Mike Bonin. It just sort of this snowball effect yeah. happens. But and also all of you, a sudden don't, you don't want to be enemies with one of the most 15, one of the 15 most powerful people in the city of L.A. Because like Mike Bonin <laughs> represents more people than a congressman. Um, he's got a lot of sway out in that area. He's been uh, elected several times. I mean, he's not like a some Machiavellian like power wielder, but L.A. City Council is really, really powerful. So a recall petition against one of them isn't a trivial thing like that's it's a, a that, difficult yeah that's difficult they make it hard they're not just gonna make it easy the recall did have legs at one point because they got john and ken the shock jocks to uh, publicize it and they were getting a lot of donations i don't know what's going on with the from, recall uh, from a point, lot of uh it's dead but they got a lot of well, we don't know money. that yet well we don't know that yet. i mean they never filed it so at this point um it, they wouldn't be able to recall bonin until like it wouldn't be on the November general. They would they will have to wait for him to come up for re-election in twenty uh twenty, I believe it is, if not twenty twenty two. Uh or they could, they no, could there's try a strategy re- there where they can have a special election and I think they were trying to they, they had vocalized this at one point that they want they didn't want it to happen when there was a general election because no, if they, you get yeah. more people out, that's less likely yeah. that Bond's going to be well, released, it, it, which also, is so anti-democratic. Well, it's, it's at one point they, uh, they'd raised, uh, from public filings around $150,000. Um, no, like the less than that, like 80,000. Well, it, and pretty much all of it went to, uh, themselves sort of as a consulting firm or, or went to like it, yeah. basically the money has not been used to actually recall Bonin. They, <laughs> they brought in a bit of it. It hasn't really gone anywhere. There's still the threat that the, it the might main, go the somewhere. The main guy, Alexis Edelstein, who I've also interviewed on KPFK uh, and had a long conversation with him about it. Um, he put in 20 grand of his own. You know, he was a Bernie crat and I think he was trying to he was trying to, I don't know what he was doing. There were some theories that he was trying to ride the wave of anti-establishment. He saw Bonin as establishment. Uh, yeah, I could. I, I mean, I would cop to that. I would say Bonin's a little bit. I, I've been more impressed with his, his pull to the left recently. Um, but even, you know, as as not a huge Bonin fan as I am, when I saw the recall, I just thought this is this is dumb. Like, this is a waste of everyone's time for this particular issue. Well, it's, it's very... Uh, it's very corrosive to the movement that we've built, which is, you know, getting these city council members on board with creating safe streets. 
all of a sudden they mounted a, you know, looking like a successful recall campaign or at least one that was a threat is now, you know, a chi- it has a chilling effect on all the council members because now everybody's scared to do something safe and controversial. Yeah, well, and, and also, like, Bonin is fairly safe, I think, out on the west side. Like, even if it came up for recall, he's been fairly consistently popular out there, and he's, he's in good with the tech companies. Uh, but for but other he did mo- reverse. He reversed one of the one of the projects that he did. Yeah. So well, I was going to say, but for other, for other people, uh, like other council members out here, that means you don't want to risk picking that fight if yeah. you're in a really, like, Mitch did not win by his much as he thought he was going to win he didn't uh he, he planned on steamrolling right over his Wait, progressive candidates Mitch, Mitch O'Farrell yeah uh, he he kind of landslided that one he was like in yeah. the 70 something percent no it was he was below that we got him really? below 60 yeah we got him below, below 60 yeah for because there's Sylvie there was Jessica so we uh-huh. he, he still okay. won like commandingly but not as commandingly as he okay. should have against two essentially no-name candidates okay but for other like Gil Cedillo for other vulnerable oh, people Gil who Cedillo. Gil Cedillo was the only one who didn't make it through the primary that's embarrassing state. and then we all know <laughs> he who shall not be named uh just screwed up that election but uh you know, for the, the more vulnerable ones, they're now looking at taking a risk on safe streets and stuff as as a big liability. And I wanted to see um, what you see as as the possibility to kind of overcome that. Like how the way you would, overcome yeah. it, we got to sell it. You know, I I mean, I'm a car driver. I'm, I've been a car driver. I worked. I was an art director for Nissan and Infinity for years. You know, I was sold. You know, I loved designing websites for cars. I loved cars. But uh, somewhere along the, la- the way, I realized if everybody, if all we ever do is give people, uh, you know, safe, convenient travel by car, everybody's going to drive and we have traffic and it's a disaster. And hey, you know what? The definition of L.A. changed for me once I really discovered bikes. I started out, started out driving to the, to the group ride two miles, bringing my bike. And then I realized, wow, I can just ride there. And then you, you just the, the city becomes a whole new city when you have other options in the car. And the the, the multimodal transportation, especially like because one of the reasons I was big into riding um, and found it so easy was because there was no expo line. And you know, riding the the seven thirty three or the the three thirty three at the time all the way across town from like the west side to to downtown was one of the most um, soul crushing rides imaginable. <laughs> any of the crosstown buses, especially late at night, like yeah. in L A. Um, very not not the best of humanity on on any level anywhere um, anywhere yeah. in in Los Angeles it's just and so we we took to bikes because we had to get across the city and you get a different view of it and now that we have multimodal transportation where I can take a train to downtown and then ride my bike to Echo Park and stuff it's easier for me to mix and, and match those and I think it's a, a very different vision for LA and a very different way for yeah. us to it um, you, interact you, with the city the, the cell is in you know I've I've stood in front of 500 people uh, arguing for a road diet and getting heckled and it's like people people get people really, get really when, upset when they think they'll be stuck in traffic which i i gotta point yeah. this out this has always weirded me out about cars is like for the vast majority of americans who are renters uh the most expensive asset they own is their car and yeah. then they make it their job in life to spend as little time as possible in the most expensive thing they own and it's not like <laughs> when the car is parked it's doing anything it's not feeding the homeless or teaching children to read it's just dripping oil well, and you, losing value you know it's funny to bring that up I I think about that a lot because I, I people spend 
it used to be fun to drive cars in the 60s and the 50s everybody there was drive-throughs there were drive-in movies people found excuses to get in their car a sunday drive it's not like that anymore there's there's it's just the the, the streets are always going to get packed to the hilt with cars because people will use the most convenient form of transportation until they until it does, it's not convenient anymore yeah. uh so there's no way to ride, widen the roads there's there's no more there's no more just getting in the car for a pleasure drive it's like it's it's a it's a dredge it's a it's a grueling thing and you have no other options and it's frustrating you and you pissed off and these people just it's you know it's like uh it's like trying to argue with somebody that's in a boat going over niagara falls like hey there's other ways to do this and they're like no 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 they'll take this away from me and and uh, young people see through this because a cars are just so expensive. It's such a drain on our wealth to have to get a car. You know, pay the insurance, pay the insurance, just, the gas, yeah. find parking, the time. You're probably leasing it, so you're paying. Uh, you're paying. You're not even owning it, but you're you're paying interest on a depreciating asset. Like your car is not worth <laughs> more the next day half. than it was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You leave the lot and it's you lose thirty percent. It's yeah. such a scam. But so there's there's some hope that like L.A. is going we're going to be able to push it a little bit more towards safer streets. And we haven't even really, to, to be fair, gotten into the, the absolutely shoddy condition of L.A. streets, which are so bad that the city council is like, oh, it's too expensive to fix. We're not going to uh, uh, many of the other like transportation issues and stuff. But we did the tragedy have a, of the commons. Yeah. Well, and even then it's not, you know, we have departments that are supposed to take care of this. But, you know, until somebody gets hurt and the city gets sued they don't really fix potholes. Um, and that's a, that's a whole other conversation. Whole other that. So we build way too many roads that we can't afford to yeah. pay for. But so before we, we'll, we'll settle that one uh, uh, next, next time. One. And thank you guys very much for joining us on the Ground Game Podcast. As always, you can join us here every week, Saturday mornings. You can also listen to us on radiojustice.org every Thursday at 6.30. As always, you can go over to CrowdPack and drop Ground Game a sustaining donation. And now, Knock LA has a Patreon. So if you want to throw us a couple of bucks there so we can start paying our writers and making ourselves more professional and keep doing the really, really good coverage. We're covering rent strikes, the fight against eviction, the fight for racial justice in LA. We would really, really appreciate your support. Anyways, thank you for joining us for another week. We're going to be back here every week talking about making LA a more livable, more walkable, more safe, more enjoyable city. 